This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how science fiction, horror, fantasy, and comics help us explore our humanity. Hi, today on Sci-Fi Talk, I have science journalist and host of Science Versus podcast on Gimlet Media. Her name, Wendy Zuckerman, a real fascinating podcast. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I always like to feature other podcasters to promote the medium. And just to let you know, I was born in Cuba, but was not in Cuba in 1971. Tell us about that swine flu. So uh, African swine fever is a, a pig virus, and um, which, is, which is great news that it only affects pigs, so it, it does not affect humans, um, because it is but but it is very very nasty for pigs. So it makes uh, when a pig is infected, it has an extremely high mortality rate, um, upwards of ninety five percent. You know, some farms that get infected, they say basically all the pigs that got infected died. Um, and what it does is it causes bleeding, bleeding to, as one academic said, in all the orifices. Um, bleeding in organs. Um, it makes the pig have a very high fever, get very lethargic. Um, so it's a, it's a really nasty way to go for a pig. Wow. There's more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. You know, the thing is, pork is a staple of the Cuban diet. It's used, you know, cooked in sandwiches. So this would really hit home there. The CIA may be infecting the pigs. That's what's fascinating about your podcast because you're investigating this. Do you fear that you want to stay away from the Oliver Stone kind of territory, if you know what I mean? <laughs> wait, wait, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> well, the parlor game in Stone's movie JFK on who killed Kennedy. Was it the mafia? Hey, even Cubans apparently were involved there, too. The dangerous tinfoil hat game is the... Yes, exactly. No, I, I, I think it's such a great question. It's a real balance, isn't it, when conspiracy theories rear their head as to whether you want to take them seriously or not. And I think that sort of became a real issue with the coronavirus um, when we started seeing a lot of conspiracy theories coming out about how how it happened. And on the show, we had a big debate going on because scientists, you know, as, as you know, Tony, all, all the scientists in this space are like, we this wasn't a surprise. We knew it came from animals. We're pretty sure it came from bats, maybe through an intermediate animal. You know, all the scientists were saying, we, we know the basic steps of how this happened and it's not nefarious. And so on the show, we were wondering, you know, should we, in, should we, inter- should we even interrogate this? Should we even give these conspiracy theories that it, it came from a lab in China or came from a lab in the US any time and space? And we decided that we should because it was becoming such a pervasive idea. And so we really interrogated it and, and looked at why scientists truly believe that that's not the case. And I think with, with this particular conspiracy theory that the CIA released African swine fever into Cuba, I kind of had a similar approach. It didn't have that urgency of needing to tell the public what the truth was with the coronavirus because this happened, you know, in 1971. But it does have this, you know, it, it is something that can be interrogated with science and it's and it's intriguing. It's intriguing why these theories take hold and, and whether science can debunk them because science can't debunk every conspiracy theory out there and some conspiracy theories are true. So I think it, I think you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a balance about whether you want to give ideas time and space. But I, 
I did feel like for the coronavirus and, and with this one as well, there just felt like there was something out there that science could help us explore. And so I, I wanted to explore it. Talk about the trail you were on to find the reporters who covered the Cuban flu and the CIA involvement in 1971. That was a coup. Credit you and your researchers. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was, gosh, when Drew Featherston, so in, in you know, in the mid-70s, he and his colleague John Cummings wrote this article where they spoke to sources who were who were very convinced that the CIA was behind this. And, and that, that article is really one of the, one of the linchpins for the theory um, that the CIA did this. And so getting those journalists was so important. John Cummings unfortunately died a few years ago and I, I just was thinking I, I have to get Drew. I have to find out who these, the, as much as I possibly can about those sources. And so I, I just like went tearing down Google rabbit holes um, and then one day went uh, went for a walk and came back and checked my email and just got this email from Drew that was like, hey, heard you've been looking for me. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I found him. Um, and he was just such a, a delightful man who who himself wanted to know what 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 happened because he said you know that we got these sources who were pretty sure it was the CIA but there were there were dots we couldn't connect and I wasn't sure so he was he was so generous about wanting to finish this story it was, it was such a such a lovely man what was fascinating to me was about this CIA lab and I'm not going to get into too much detail because I think people should really listen to that part of it as well as the entire series and it's like what they were doing was to me amazing and it's like boy that's one of those things that's so hard again to separate the fact from the fiction but the hollywood version of the cia that we've seen in movies years and years we'd say yeah they could do that so i mean that's that's a that's a tightrope to walk but uh credit you for e even showing that part of it oh i th thank you it, it's it is so interesting and you know one one thing that I, I learned as I was kind of reading more about what the CIA was doing, when you mentioned the Hollywood films, and I, you know, we may never know, but I have a sneaking suspicion that thanks to Hollywood, we just think the CIA are much more devious and better at their jobs than they are. Do you, I mean, I was... There was a time, I read this book, it was one of the, the first books that had been published by an ex-CIA agent. Um, it was redacted, the book itself, part of the, in the publishing of it, they had these black lines through it because it was sort of famously a court case where it was redacted. And it's just so clear that, you know, particularly in the 60s and the 70s, so much money was thrown at the CIA and they and they just fumbled so many things, you know, famously the Bay of Pigs, but... They, they really, they weren't this sort of outfit that we see in the films. And I, I one question that my editor had was, was like, if they did pull off this pig virus thing, would this be one of the most successful things that the CIA did back then? And, um, and I think it, it is interesting how, because they're so opaque and cloudy we give them a lot of credit we said well we don't know we don't they could have done all these things but the more i read the more i was like how, how much did they what did they get away with it what, what did they actually do and what did they really just fumble um and we, and we really don't know that's the you know with so many of the things they're accused for but uh, but with this particular conspiracy theory connecting some of the dots and then seeing how 
some of the dots really didn't connect was was a, a really, I don't know, it was, it was interesting for someone like me who's usually just a really straightforward science journalist reading, you know, peer-reviewed nerdy literature, um, finding myself trawling through declassified documents was, um, was a nice, a nice sort of side thing to do. Sci-fi talk returns in a moment. If you listened to the first episode, like I did, uh, you'll hear that at the end of the episode, you get an envelope from the CIA and you open it up. And like any good suspenseful thing, it just worked left hanging. But as we record this episode, episode part two just has been released. So now you have your answer, folks. But um, but boy, dealing with the CIA. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I was very surprised to have heard back fairly quickly. Um, you know, I, I put in the FOIA requests, you know, several months before that middle envelope came through. So I, I was not expecting it. I, I tell you that. Um, and it, and it was, it was very interesting to see, you know, in the context of this pig virus that they were watching it closely. They were watching what happened. And, you know, there's obviously two, more than two, but two main explanations is one is they were watching lots of things that were happening in Cuba and the fact that there was this pig virus outbreak and it was a, a big problem in Cuba at the time and to, to contain it, you know, hundreds of thousands of pigs were killed. Um, so maybe they were just keeping an eye out on something that was happening in Cuba, you know, or the conspiracy theory explanation is, of course, they were they were watching to see how their own their own operation panned out. Um and I guess you have to hear in the in the second uh, episode that, that was out today um, which one it was and whether we were able to tell. That's right. Uh, that, that sounds uh, that sounds interesting. I, I am going to definitely catch that one as well. What, what's interesting, speaking of viruses, is that you did kind of a look back at the nineteen eighteen virus that we uh, was it eighteen or oh eight, but the the virus nineteen eighteen, yes, yeah, the big one before this one. Yeah, that must have been interesting and and some similarities, I would think. Yeah, so that was our, our producer Rose Rimler. Um, you know, amazing coincidence. She found out that she's um, she's hauled up for this pandemic in in California, staying with some family, and she realized that one of her basically neighbors, a guy down the street, played a pivotal role in getting us the very first like sample of the 1918 the Spanish flu virus you know when when I when you read about all these these studies that are like why was it so deadly any any study out there analyzing the virus the the reason we can analyze the virus is because we have it and we totally take that for granted. I took it for granted. You know, when I think about the coronavirus, we don't even ask. We're like, well, yeah, the strain, it's running around the place. You get anyone who's infected, shove a swab up their nose and, um, and you'll get a sample of the virus. Easy peasy. But back in 1918, when this, when this flu was you know, ravaging the world, they didn't have that technology where they could just you know, swab, swab someone in the nose. And so they never got a sample of it. And it wasn't until decades, decades later in this crazy adventure story that this man was able to actually get a sample of it. It was it was wild. It's just these things. It, it's so wonderful when you take something for granted in science and then you actually realize it was this insane adventure to, to, to get it. It's, it's such a, a joy of being a science journalist. Well, you've done extensive coverage on the coronavirus. Uh also, an episode on dinosaurs, which is cool, and UFOs, so that gathers my interest as well. 
Now, we, we have something in common because this actually, Science Versus actually started on radio on the Australian Broadcasting Company. So that how is your transition going from radio to a podcast? Well, interestingly, I did start at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Um, you've done you've done your homework, um, but it actually was one of the first podcasts for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. So it was always um, there to be a podcast. Certain episodes have been aired on the ABC um, as a, as a radio show, but it was kind of one of the the ABC's. Um, okay, I have to keep saying Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Um, I know you. I know you guys have your own, um, but. Uh, it was it was almost an, an experiment of you know what happens if we make um audio shows for, for digital first um and so it was it was always designed to be a, a, a podcast and um it's sort of it is it is interesting the the difference the slight differences and um the way you approach it well and you've tackled some interesting issues um you know uh orgasms interesting uh you know, medically looking at orgasms and scientifically looking at orgasms and this one caught my eye because I'm a Gemini. Are Geminis the worst? Well, we'd like to think we're not, but. Uh. <laughs> I mean, inter- it's very interesting, the, the show. I mean, so I've been, um, I'm sorry. Just, um, I've been making Science Versus for uh, about five years now. I have this amazing, amazing team of science journalists uh, to help me. And, and it's constantly surprising what our audience wants to hear, you know, you would imagine that a show like Science Versus, it's called, you know, it's got the word science in the title. We're we're really focused on facts. We release our transcription of every of every episode, full of citations. Um, and so you you might think, oh, it's probably a very nerdy audience. They just want to hear about whatever, you know, the nerdy topics around. But you know, for season after season, we would ask people, what do you want to know about? And and astrology came up time and time again. I want to know, is there anything in it? And which I love the honesty of our audience because they, I'm sure so many of them know like that this is not as frowned upon a little amongst some uh, scientific circles, but that, you know, their friends are into it. It's such a popular thing. Could there be anything to it? And it was really fun to actually look at it from a scientific perspective and, and just say, you know, let's be really open-minded here. Because is there something to it? If you took a, a, a whole a thousand Gemini's and gave them a personality test, is is it, the answer going to be slightly different to the Capricorns out there? And, and you know, studies like that had been done, and so it was it was fun to read them and to actually sort of give give astrology the science versus treatment. Oh yeah, uh, you know, from a technical standpoint, because I I do a lot of my own production, uh, it's a well really well produced. You know, mixing the the sound bites and yourself, uh, that just doesn't all come together. So, how long does it take on an average for an episode uh, to do? And do you record several at once, or just kind of concentrate per episode? We so it's this amazing team uh, that I've got, which I do really like to emphasize because it's such a, a a wonderful team. It's not just me. And and it, to make an episode usually takes around two months. Most of that is research. When we were doing the coronavirus season, um, which we did uh, last season, so just at the beginning of this year, um, then we were pumping out episodes very quickly because we the the sort of need for 
information was so urgent questions like how dangerous are surfaces um you know ca- can i be going outside do i really need to social distance i mean we know the answers to these questions now but at the time you know should i be taking hydroxychloroquine you know back back when it was starting out you know people would there was just so many questions do you remember this one there was a a panic over ibuprofen at one point no it's it's dangerous the french ministry came out with this tweet and said don't take ibuprofen when you're on Coronavirus. I mean, it was just nonstop. And so to make those episodes and to really like help people get over those first months of the of the coronavirus, we were we, we got a, a larger team. Um, Gimlet and Spotify gave us more people and then we were pumping out episodes every three days, basically. Um, but normally, normally uh, to, to make a, an episode, yeah, we're talking um, about eight weeks. Sometimes with this pig virus one, it was longer because I knew I was going to be doing FOIA requests and talking to the CIA media. So I knew that was going to take longer. Well, you know, I, I certainly hope is a request I have is once this virus is all over, that you kind of go back to those shows and you kind of pull certain segments to kind of give us a timeline of what happened so we can all look back and wipe our brows and say, man, we made it through this. Oh, my goodness. I, to- I totally feel that at the end of the season, when I think we did like 20 something episodes, we did a little bit of a look back. And but by then it was it was it was June. It was June. No, no, no it was June. And, and as a joke, one of the academics told us, oh, this is like some, you know, some teenage superstar, like releasing one of their biographies when they're only you know 18 years old or something. Um, and she said, you know, it's, it's crazy to do a look back in June. But uh, I think we definitely feels like we're all going to want some kind of what just happened here. Oh, absolutely. Well, I love your passion. You obviously are very passionate about your work. And that's so important these days. Uh, A lot, some people I've run into just kind of go through the motions. (laughs) And uh, with something like this, you really can't because it shows up as well. So I, 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 again, I just love your passion. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a, I mean, at a time like this to be a science journalist, it's, um, it's, it, it feels at least we're helping. You know what I mean? There's, there's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard, but it's, it's, I don't know, it's very rewarding right now. A lot of podcasters do this, and at first it's fun, but then they realize it's work too. So, and it is work. It is, it is work. I know. I'm still convincing people that podcasting is a career. <laughs> it is, it's not just a hobby. Um, but yeah, it, it, but it, absolutely, absolutely, it's work. Is there like an end date for this season when the last episode's going to air? Yes, yes. Uh, so um, we have a, a, a break this week and then we've got um, two more episodes. Uh, so we, we finished just before Christmas, basically. Um, and one of the episodes coming up is about magic mushrooms. So um, veering off <laughs> so vast, vast topics and, and looking at, you know, there's a lot of excitement around magic mushrooms to help with um, certain kinds of depression, um, maybe even addictions. Uh, so we're, we're looking into the science of that. And um, it's, it's, just, it's very interesting, yeah, to, to bounce around the world of of science and jump from pig viruses to magic mushrooms. Well, as a child of the 60s, I know a little bit about those mushrooms. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, perhaps we should have interviewed you on that. But I've never partaked, but I I have heard of it. Oh, no, no. You only inhaled. Uh, But yes, uh, it was was well known in those days, I can tell you. Uh, I was fairly young, but it was around where you noticed it. 
Right, right. Well, it, I, I mean, it, it's very interesting that now it's, um, you know, the FDA has uh, has called it a, you know, a potential breakthrough technology for depression. I mean, we've come a long way. Well, we've actually come full circle, haven't we? I think uh, in the in the 60s and 70s, it was being looked at as a potential medicine. And then obviously the war on drugs came and then there was a, a lot of fear around it. And now we're, we're back um, to, to investigating this properly. Um, and I think... It is, it is promising. There is a lot of hype around it as well, which is unfortunate, but always the case with these things. Um, but, it's, it, it, you know, people, people who are in this field of treating depression say that, you know, for so long they've just been in a rut with very little to work with for some patients. And, and this is at least giving some hope. Wow. That's, yeah, that's never thought I'd hear anything like that, but it's amazing. Here it is. Yeah. What makes things change is what what makes things change is, is very interesting, isn't it? That for so long something's just taboo and and criminalized and not talked about, and you wouldn't even discuss it in you know in public. The idea of, of legalizing or decriminalizing, and then all of a sudden it becomes wait, why is this why is this illegal? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. God, we've all been down. We've had I've had those arguments before in the past with people. But uh, it's a new day, as they say. It's been great to talk to you about your podcast, Science Versus. It's available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, of course. You can even listen to it on GimletMedia.com, along with some a really great staple of shows that I've been listening to for a while now. And uh, congratulations on this and uh, continued success. It's a really interesting show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Happy holidays to you and uh, the best. Stay healthy. You too. You too. And thank you all for listening to Sci-Fi Talk. Until next time, this is Tony Tolado and a happy holidays to you as well. Take care. Hi, this is Anita LaSelva, Zor from Earth Final Conflict, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk.